my oldest uh, child uh, went through Walmart and, and she was just grabbing stuff and said, ooh, look at this, ooh, look at that. Came home and I told my wife, I said, you know the key to happiness is finding something extra in the ordinary so that everything becomes extraordinary. Today on First Person, you'll meet Shane Norman. It's impossible to put just one label on Shane describing what he does in life, but I think you'll enjoy meeting him today, and we'll begin the conversation in just a moment. The simple idea behind this weekly radio show is that we want you to meet people from all walks of life who are motivated in what they do by the love of God who has changed them and redeemed them to live for His purposes. So each week you'll hear a different story as people share how they serve God. Our website has additional information at firstpersoninterview.com. There you can see the schedule of upcoming guests and browse back through the archive of past interviews. That's firstpersoninterview.com. Our guest today, Shane Norman, works at one of the nation's leading fundraising agencies for ministries. But Shane is also an entrepreneur in marketing, strategy, and social media with experience in the corporate media world. And on top of that, he's a pastor. Our recent conversation began when I asked him about his work. Uh, so I work for Douglas Shawn Associates, uh, leading fundraising marketing agency uh, as a chief digital officer uh, and senior vice president. Whoa, 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 chief digital officer. That sounds pretty intimidating. Yeah, it's uh, uh, pretty interesting. Just uh, last week, I sat with uh, a worldwide collection of chief digital officers in, uh, in London uh, discussing uh, digital transformation and uh, disruption. And uh, so I have an incredible opportunity to serve uh, organizations uh, with uh, Douglas Shawn Associates. What does a digital officer do? Uh, typically, in, uh, the, by its definition, um, it really focuses on uh, the evolution of digital. Um, what I described with, uh, to a couple of people, it really is the uh, perfect hybrid between someone that has uh, technical expertise but also marketing expertise. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, historically, people have sort of sat in either one part or the other. Uh, and as time has evolved, it's really been important for those two things to come together. Yeah. So you bring uh, digital technology to bear in the business world. And in this case, as you raise money for a lot of Christian organizations, it, you know, we're talking about social media, we're talking about websites, we're talking about online fundraising, all of that. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there are some incredible opportunities that we uh, that we have uh, to do just that. Um, uh, and some one of the more exciting ones lately has been with uh, SIM International uh, and and helping with their efforts across uh, 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 trying to prevent and uh, and decrease the spread of uh, Ebola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be rewarding to be a part of that. Well, um, we'll come back to that because I have all kinds of questions. I'm, I'm kind of a digital guy myself, and I, I enjoy all things right. digital. But I, So I have some questions about that. But I want to know about you and your life. Where did life start out for you? Tell me about your family growing up. Uh, well, I was born uh, just uh, uh, north of uh, Naperville here uh, in uh, Waukegan, Illinois. And uh, uh, my mother and my father are both from down south uh, in, in Memphis, which is where I consider home now. And uh, we lived here and uh, initially came to faith as a part of a, uh, uh, a, a, an effort of my aunt to take us to, to Sunday school every, uh-huh. every Sunday. Yeah, I, uh, I, I have a similar story. It was my aunt and uncle who <laughs> right. made sure I was in church. So, yeah. Yeah. so she uh, drug us to church and we thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, I actually uh, had a, a huge affinity for uh, worship at, at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around 11, we moved down to uh, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. My father relocated there. My mother retired early. She was fairly, uh, fairly uh, sick at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we moved uh, down south with uh, more family. And uh, I think around the age of uh, 13, 
uh, I, I acknowledged that I had a, a call to preach um, okay. and, and shared that with the local pastor. And uh, I was all set to uh, to provide my first sermon, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we actually uh, took a bit of a detour. And uh, I ended up out of church for several years okay. and, uh, until I got older. All right. Well, you're, you're giving me all kinds of threads to follow here. Yeah. Let me go back to moving down to the South or your family returning to the South and you were a young boy. Life had to be different in the South than it was in Illinois for you. It was. It was. It was a bit of a uh, bit of an adjustment. Um, uh, I got uh, re- recall very uh, uh, vividly being in the sixth grade and uh, sitting across from uh, one of my friends who uh, had to kick me because the uh, assistant principal told me I uh, asked me a question and I said uh, yes. Well, what I didn't realize is in the South, you were required to say, yes, sir. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> and, uh, so that thrust and kick <laughs> followed a, yes, sir. <laughs> so from then on, it was embedded in my mind that I uh-huh. had to respond with that sort of respect. So it was a different culture, different world. Yeah. Um, but uh, certainly, I'm, I, when I look back on it, I'm glad we glad yeah. we did. Did you encounter any racism moving to the South at that uh, time? Actually, it was, a, it, it, was, it was quite a bit different. I mean, I actually uh, did not at the time. It wasn't until I got much older. Uh, and actually in New York that I encountered some of the, 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 the most uh, uh, vivid racism, hmm. if you will. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's ironic. I mean, most of my friends were – we lived in a very mixed neighborhood. And right. it was almost the opposite of what you would expect in the South. Hmm. We lived actually just north of the Mississippi border. Yeah. Well, you've had such an interesting life. Okay, now let me take you back to that call to preach when you were young. Yeah. And then you got away from church altogether. Yeah. Tell me about that chapter. So we, we, we left church. We had a, a, a pretty bad experience. Uh, my, my mother did. And, uh, and so uh, it wasn't until I got old enough to drive myself to church that we actually started going. Um, and uh, rightfully so. We just we had a, a very bad experience that just pushed us out of the— Was it church or was it the Lord? I mean, what, did you make a distinction there? I believe it was church. It was church. Uh, do not believe it was the Lord. Yeah, I believe it yeah. Was you, n- you didn't walk away from him. Yeah. Yeah. No, and we still had, you know, we had incredible. Uh, my mother's a, a huge person of faith, and we had incredible, you know, um, uh, times of worship in home <laughs> uh, on a Saturday morning cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mom's had a way of doing that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's, as far as organized um, uh, religion and, and going to church, it was a, it was, it was something that um, uh, I considered to be a, a real big detour and distraction. Okay. So eventually, though, you started preaching. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was several years later that I just started uh, the, realizing the call uh, and, and became stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think about uh, by age 20, I, I really realized, you know, it's, I'm going too far. I've lived too long. It's time to start mm-hmm. uh, really exploring uh, what God has called me to do. Mm-hmm. So I started in youth ministry, just volunteering at local uh, community churches. One was located in a, a apartment uh, facility uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and, and noticed just the uh, the ability to uh, to help people um, uh, with the message of Christ and, and transform their lives and give them some uh, measure of hope was something that uh, would be a part of my life for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. Do you remember preaching for the first time? I do. It was. Uh, incredible. I don't think anybody ever forgets that experience, do they? <laughs> it was an incredible <laughs> opportunity. And uh, later on, I would end up teaching uh, preachers, and I call upon that experience—the first experience of preaching, of really being all over the place, of having. A message, and and it's one of the things I, I know that every preacher can resonate with is uh, it, after years and years and years of study uh, and having that opportunity, you almost have too much to say. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and really, the art of preaching is really distilling down um, a couple of key messages and points um, 
that people can take away, giving them enough to digest. I often hear preachers reflect back on that first message and thought they had 60 minutes of material, and it turned out to be 10. <laughs> was it like that for you? It was, for me, it was the exact opposite. I spent so much time in, in study and, and so much time mm-hmm. in uh, preparation and so many years really not in front of the mic. I mean, I, I answered and acknowledged my call at a very young age, but it wasn't until seven or eight years that I actually had the opportunity uh, to, mm-hmm. to, to, uh, uh, to com- commit myself to that call. So did you receive training yourself? I did. I did. In seminary se- or college? I did. Initially, it wasn't uh, seminary. It was, uh, initially, the greatest experience that I had as uh, uh, my preparation for preaching was actually in college. I, I majored in philosophy at Rhodes College, a real uh, great school in, uh, in the South in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I found myself over and over again um, uh, uh, having to debate uh, what I believed with uh, a, a great group of, of atheists um, and people who uh, found themselves, uh, you know, con, uh, contesting everything that I would say, uh, uh, and w- with with strong refutation, uh, and that was my my training ground, and actually a perfect segue for me into uh, into a discipline of 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 really uh, grabbing the word and understanding it and also being able to share uh, mm-hmm. with other people. We started out talking about your life as a digital officer in a corporation, but you still preach, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Did you have your own church? That uh, so I co-pastor with uh, my best friend who's, in a, uh, who's a medical doctor. We, we split uh, duties. Is that right? And uh, yeah, so What's I, the name of the church? It's called The Way Church of Memphis. All right. And uh, uh and coincidentally or providentially, um, however you look at it, we've been in uh, ministry together for almost uh, 12 years in different places in different cities. That's got to be one of the most unique churches in the community or anywhere to have a medical doctor and a digital you know, uh, officer expert uh, pastors of the church. Yeah, really great dynamic. I mean, one of the great things that we're able to do is mentor a lot of other uh, young uh, young adults and uh, give them some advice, not only spiritual, but also for their careers. Yeah, and talk about that for a moment. I, I would imagine that'd be a powerful example to them. It is. I think uh, for, for, all, for all too long, um, especially in our community, uh, there's a focus really just on the spiritual and not the natural, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, the natural includes career development and where you're investing your money and, and how, how you're spending your time. Um, what you're uh, what you're majoring in, um, really, that's an aspect of our ministry. I think that uh, that makes it especially unique. Yeah. Uh, and and we have a, a number of people who sort of gravitate to us on the basis of uh, not first the uh, the spiritual, but actually the natural. To mm-hmm. say you guys are have, are successful in your natural life, um, and we'd love to see uh, seek a mentorship and, and help in that regard. I know that doesn't happen in the predominantly white church. Does that happen much in the predominantly black church? Uh, not as much. Not as much. Yeah. And, and, and again, going back to the discipline of study, uh, it's a very different, um, I think, career tra- trajectory where uh, we are, uh, I think, uh, atypical in our community where there are a lot of pastors who are sol- solely focused on their career as pastors yeah. um, and, uh, and not really uh, uh, focused or, or, or ha- have any sort of uh, tentacles into uh, what some people might consider the, you know, the secular or the real world. There's more to Shane Norman's story, and you'll hear it coming up in the second half of today's conversation on First Person. First Person has partnered with Mission Aviation Fellowship to make available to you a free copy of the classic book, Jungle Pilot, telling the life story of early missionary aviation pilot Nate Saint and the pioneering work of MAF. I've narrated this special audio edition of Jungle Pilot, and a free download is available at firstpersoninterview.com. Your whole family will enjoy listening to Jungle Pilot. To download, visit firstpersoninterview.com. 
My guest today is Shane Norman. Shane and I um, rub elbows once in a while in an office called Douglas Shaw and Associates in the suburban Chicago area. Doug is walking by the office right now, as a matter of fact, outside the studio waving at us, Shane. Um, my studio is here inside these offices, and you live in Memphis, but this is home, the home office for you. So, Absolutely. But we've never had a chance to sit down and talk before, and I really appreciate this opportunity. Now, in a sense, I guess you're a bivocational pastor, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, you, you work in the digital realm, and I want to talk more about that. But as a pastor, I mean, how do you divide your time? How does that work? Yeah, it's a delicate balance. I mean, I've, uh, I think one of the greatest talents in, in the world, uh, I'm also a father and a husband yeah. uh, and uh, have three demanding kids. Okay, I should have asked you about that part of your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, so I think, uh, I think one of the greatest gifts that God can give us is that proper balance, is to, is to uh, give enough to uh, what he's called us to do and what he's given us and, and really to be good stewards over, mm-hmm. uh, over what we've been, been assigned. And I, I work uh, incredibly hard and— uh, incredibly long hours and that's really the only way that it works Mm -hmm. but Um, you don't short your family no not at all. In fact, they don't allow me. To. Your ministry is your family, yeah, right? Yeah. They yeah. don't allow me to. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my kids are, are uh, I think, preconditioned to uh, to demand the time to climb on top of my computer or on top of my neck, <laughs> and uh, and demand the, the the time that they're given. Uh, and they're, they're tell me about your wife and and the ages of your kids. Uh, so I've got uh, three kids: three, seven, and eleven. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> yes, daily. <laughs> and your wife? Uh, so she's uh, she. We actually grew up around uh, each other. She's a couple years younger than me, um, but we went to the same elementary school. Um, and uh, we actually had uh, a number of the same uh, friends and met three different times through three different mutual friends. The first time she gave me a fake number. <laughs> um, and the second time she ended up actually in a Bible study that I was teaching. And, uh, and that's actually how we, uh, we established a relationship. All right. Shane, we talk a lot on first person about calling, and this has to be something that you've wrestled with and seem to be handling well. I mean, what are your thoughts about how God calls and equips people? Yeah, I think, um, I think that he equips us and uh, he calls us specifically to our talents um, and the gifts that he's given us. I, I, I say often, I think we lie to kids and tell them you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. Um, and I, I really believe you can be whatever you want to be within the confines of the gifts that God has given you. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, I believe the, the greatest responsibility we have is to maximize um, what he's given us. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I, I find uh, you know, um, comfort in, in knowing that I can exercise my gifts in multiple uh, multiple avenues and in yeah. ways, and not be limited to you know one channel or the other. Yeah, I consider my job to be a ministry, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, and consider the opportunities that I'm given to be uh, uh, areas uh, where I can exercise the gifts that uh, God has uh, trusted me with. Yeah, there is no line between work and ministry, is there? No, there's not. I think you're you're either you're, you're always on, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're we're always. Uh, um, a reflection of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I consider opportunities uh, like speaking in front of a group of uh, chief digital officers, an yeah. opportunity to minister. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't think most kids growing up, though, think to themselves, I want to become a chief digital officer someday. So how, how did this all start for you? It was really accidental. So I, I uh, it was accidental and it was providential. It was, it was, it was God's accident. Right? <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I consider just, again, going back to the, the idea that we can be whatever we want to be. I wanted to be a lawyer. 
lawyer um, and I failed miserably in a mock trial uh, competition <laughs> in, uh, in high school and said, OK, maybe I'm not good at that. And uh, what ended up happening uh, really just as a result of taking on jobs and, and opportunities, I discovered a real knack for marketing, started in working for newspapers as an account executive. I graduated actually straight out of college, I started working for the NBC affiliate in Memphis. Uh, and ended up having a, a significant amount of success um, initially for my first year and a half. And something I don't think you know is um, I ended up leaving my job. Uh, it was a commission sales job, and and as as it would happen, um, I did very very well my first year and a half. The next uh, several months, I, I saw a huge decline in sales mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's an interesting way that sales works where uh, you get paid up front, <laughs> and uh, if the clients don't pay their bills, they take the money back. So at about the end of 2003, I went from making six or $7,000 a month, which is huge for a you know, college kid, sure. uh, at two, 2000, early 2004, bringing home you know, $1,300. Yeah. Um, and I found myself really in a very precarious position where I said, you know, either I can try to dig myself out of this hole or I just need to go and do something different. And um, I decided to go and do something different. And when that was actually to quit my job and everybody thought I was crazy, hmm. um, I quit my job, gave up the, you know, the little fun little Beamer I had and uh, <laughs> condo and uh, went and served as a missionary in the Dominican Republic. I didn't know that. Yeah. How long? Uh, for about the period of six months. Okay. And uh, the initial. Now, well, let me stop you because, yeah. I mean, the whole idea of, of you know, f- in a sense, failing at that sales job that way, and it must have been devastating, especially for a young person who's starting out like that. And But as you look back on it, I mean, it was a transition point for as you. As I wasn't look it? back on it, it was the absolute best thing I could have ever done in my life. People say that, yeah. and I've experienced some of that too. Yeah. And and everybody's perception on the outside was that uh, was that uh, it, I was crazy. I did have one person um, who didn't think I was crazy, and that's my best friend, the, the medical doctor I told you about, okay. who uh, who offered some confirmation um, and, and some comforting words uh, ahead of my uh, my journey. And uh, gradually over time, people understood. Okay. Um, but at the time, I, I, I felt alone, and and uh, and I just I had to sense and hear the voice of God, and I did, and it was really a life uh, transforming yeah. experience. You said it lasted six months. Yes. Did you hear the voice of God say, "This is over. This this another thing I have for you now"? I did. I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be there a year. Um, I, I'm, towards the end of the year, there were some things happening back home. My mother was getting sick again. God uses circumstances, doesn't yeah, he? It does, and. Um, I tell everybody it's like a you know it's like being a um, when you trust him completely it's like being a leaf in the wind <laughs> yeah you you reduce your density and you just go with the flow yeah yeah <laughs> and um and and so I, I since the timing was it was time for me to come back home I was uh, I was there long enough I got very very sick uh, I lost a lot of weight I couldn't eat the food that was there hmm. um, I'm already or already wasn't that big uh, lost about fifteen pounds. Wow. Um, and uh, but I had a, a, a fever, uh, just a really really strong um, sense of God's presence there. And uh, one of the greatest things that happened for me is I ran out of money. And um, here I am, this you know American who people perceive to have money and be well funded. And um, God knew I didn't have any money <laughs> or any food. And I had people just walk up to me randomly at services and just hand bags of coins, mm. bags of money. Mm. And times like that just really showed me, yeah. you know, God's hand on my life and uh, his, uh, his, uh, um, 
his awareness of my me and my condition, and it provided such a, a great sense of, of of who I am in him. Yeah. So all of this is preparation, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and we need to look at that even when we're going through it. It's hard Absolutely. to see it at the time, but it, it's all preparation for something something greater that he has for us. Absolutely. You've experienced that. Yeah. Absolutely. So the transition then from being a missionary to what? Yeah, so then being a missionary, I preached and I taught there and I left. And I came back uh, really with with nothing and uh, went to go back and work for the TV stations. None of them, none of them would have me. <laughs> so I, I ended up uh, reconnecting with one of my old clients. His name is Dr. Toyos. And uh, he was spending a bunch of money and, and really not well. Uh, and I ended up starting my own agency uh, with him. He ended up becoming uh, Inc. 500, fastest growing company in 2005, largely due to some of the stuff that we had out, outlined mm-hmm. um, and done during my time at the NBC affiliate and bringing him to TV for the first time. So you time. worked with some very major companies, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. So I basically landed in my own company and, and made a big name for myself pretty pretty quickly and established a career. And from there, uh, established relationships with uh, all the local TV stations. And Fox recruited me to come and work for them to uh, run the uh, internet division in, uh, at, uh, in, in Memphis for, for uh, their stations. Well, this whole digital revolution has come about so quickly in the last generation. I mean, you had to grow up with it. Yeah. So is it like a second language to you? It is. I mean, it was. it's, uh, I think, even more so for people that are slightly younger than me. They're uh, born digitally native. Uh, um, the disruption really sort of happened midstream during my career. You know, when I started at NBC, uh, it was a really a, a non-issue. And, and when I took over the uh, internet division for Fox in Memphis and then promoted to New York, it was the center of what's happening you know, um, in the world and really um, um, brought a bunch of fear and, and, uh, uh, and as well as opportunity, which is where I was able to make my career. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of territory very quickly here, and I know there's a whole lot more. But uh, as we draw the conversation to a close, Shane, I just want to ask you, what's the bottom line so far, I mean, you're a young man. Who knows what God has in store for you? But what's the bottom line so far? What's the lesson learned? And what, what would you share with other people who are looking themselves for God's will for their life? Well, I think the, the, I think the, the greatest uh, opportunity is to take every single um, piece of life, every moment, and to make it as special as it possibly can be, to maximize the opportunity. I came up with a quote a couple of days ago. I don't know how original it is, um, but I discovered this with my kids in the store. We were uh, I, because of how busy I am. I, I make everyday events um, uh, something um, special. So when you go shopping with the kids, <laughs> so we just go shopping. <laughs> hey, let's hop in the car and let's do something. So my oldest uh, child uh, went through Walmart and, and she was just grabbing stuff and said, "Ooh, look at this! Ooh, look at that! Ooh, look at that!" <laughs> and uh, what I discovered, I came home and I told my wife, I said, "You know the key to happiness." is finding something extra in the ordinary so that everything becomes extraordinary. I'm glad we had the chance to bring you today's guest, Shane Norman, with his unique gifting and story to tell. There are people like Shane strategically placed throughout the kingdom of God to help advance the cause of Christ in this world. When you visit our website, you'll have a chance to learn more about Shane and the company he works for, Douglas Shaw. In addition to that, there's an audio archive so you can listen again or share the audio link with someone else you think might like to hear what you've heard today. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com. That's firstpersoninterview.com, where you'll also find a schedule of what's coming up in the weeks ahead as we close out one year and begin another. Also, don't forget you can download a free audiobook from Mission Aviation Fellowship called Jungle Pilot, telling the life story of martyred MAF pilot Nate Saint. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the Jungle Pilot banner. That's firstpersoninterview.com. 
Next week, the president of Prison Fellowship, Jim Liskey, will be here. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you back next time for First Person. First Person.